Welcome to episode 5 of The People's Project. We are so close to Christmas, I can smell the chocolate already. Do you have chocolate? You should see my fridge. No. Chocolate's bad. Chocolate's not bad. You're going to get sick. Yes, I'm going to get sick, and that's a good thing. Oh. I have every chocolate under the sun. I have Toblerone. I, you know what you do? You wait for them to go on special. Whitakers have got one called Jelly Jelly Top. You've got to say it like New Zealand actually. Jelly Top? Jelly Tops. Do you know? Oh, Jelly Tops. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I know Jelly Tops. It's this, this ice cream in them New last Zealand. Week. Oh, sucks. Sucks. Oh, I see. <laughs> What, what's happened this week? <coughs> to be honest, I have been on purpose not watching because I've been looking at some stuff. Well, then why are you here on the show? You've got to follow the news. That's what this is about. Aren't you the news? This week, I'm so pleased to announce that restrictions have almost completely lifted. We have the four square meter rule becoming the two square meter rule. We have no capacity limits on weddings and funerals, of course. Uh, and no capacity limits on hospitalities. 5,000 people at events. I think we should rejoice. We're back to normal. You know, that sort of sounds like a sort of a math problem you would give year 11 students. Well, uh, you know, of course, that I'm not speaking of Victoria. No. I'm speaking of New South Wales. South so this Wales. is an announcement by Gladys Berejiklian. This is the absurdity of it. They have, what, 15, 14 cases at the moment. It changes every day. We have, do you know how many? Four? Zero. Zero. Yes. I thought they had one or two suspected. For some, for some reason, the one death did not count as a case. Because oh, right. They it was complication, co- so it wasn't so, an infection. Yeah, something like that. So I guess we're stuck on zero, and when we catch up to New South Wales and have 10 cases, our restrictions can lift. Anyway, uh, that is ridiculous. Surely not. Yep, it's real. You know what? People are loving Dan too. Even though I just pointed mm. out something ludicrous, they love him so much, I decided to talk to a, a PR expert, public relations expert. This guy, Damien Curry, he was an ABC journalist and he knows the media inside and out. Mm. And he has an interesting theory on how Teflon Dan pulls it off time and time again. So have a look at this. Public relations expert Damien Curry joins us. Thank you for coming on, Damien. What is going on here? I've just been saying that uh, the Premier, Dan Andrews, in this state is so good at communicating his message down in here, Victoria. It seems he can do nothing wrong. Is he a master at PR or what? He's um, He has a certain skill set um, I, I, that is that he's obviously using and he he does know how to frame things and phrase things in such a way that it kind of looks it adds to this persona that he's kind of just like an ordinary i'm just an ordinary guy Mm. and i'm doing the best that i possibly can um but look we're gonna have to do this and we're gonna have to pull all that sort of tonality is it, it sort of speaks to the part of the population that likes the paternalistic father figure so it's it's a little patronising, it's a little condescending. It's very condescending if you don't like that, uh, as I don't. Um, but so he's quite condescending. But he's got that that way of also kind of kind of sounding like he's just it's like your neighbour, you know, he, he he telling you what he's up to. And so he he early on got a lot of sympathy, didn't he? I mean, it was very very clear right from the start that people were sort of saying, well, I like Dan because he's. He's just like us and he, yes. you know, he's doing his best. He's doing yes. his best. That was something that came up time and time again in social media when anyone, when anyone criticised him. It's like, you yes. know, he's working so hard. Look how hard yes. he's working. 100 press um, conferences in a row, yeah. Yeah, all of which said very little um, and were probably <laughs> not necessary, right? But I'm going to be here with my sleeves rolled up because ScoMo wasn't when the fires were on and we saw how that went for him. So, you know, here's my North Face. You know, it's no accident. Yeah. Right, uh, you know, here's the jacket. Here's me being just like you. Oh, this is so hard. This is so tough. Um, share with me the burden. So, Damien, and none of this is accident. Public sympathy. Yeah. So this is all very, very deliberate, right? This is this is a PR I believe move. so. In the case of Dan Andrews, absolutely. I know. Okay. Uh, yeah. And will it? Labor will it PR fade? Is pretty good. Yeah, it, will it, it fade? It, yes, it should. Yes, it will fade. It only lasts until people wake up to the fact that you're doing it. So um, there will come a point where people will go, hang on a minute. 
this is this is a bit contrived. Um, it's a weird thing, you know. People demand authenticity; mm-hmm. uh, they really like authenticity, and you get politicians. Um, I mean, the real masters of it in the early days were people like Blair and Clinton, Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. um, that were v- made you feel very much like they were ordinary people that were just, you know, in extraordinary roles and were doing a good job and, and were very likable and warm and you'd want to have a beer with them and, and that sort of thing. And I think Dan's really got that identity. It's like, you know, Dan's me, mate. I'd like to have a beer with him down at the pub. Um, and we could chat about all these problems. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not putting that down. I'm not saying that that's, that's a bad thing. Um, it's, it's just that when that's the wrapping for what is or what would apparently be quite um, uh, poor management of, of, of the government processes, systems and the quarantine stuff at least, and in some cases, you know, seriously negligent failings uh, and then the knifing in the back of colleagues and all that sort of thing. I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I wouldn't trust that character type as far as I could, you know, spit. So well, it, it's a, it's a, it's scary. Um, but it will come unraveling, as you say, once people I start to it, see it's not real. It usually does. Yeah. You usually get a term and you get elected again and, and maybe, and then it kind of starts to unravel. But if you manage a crisis really well mm. and people think that you've, and you recast yourself in a crisis, in the narrative, it's all about, you know, people make sense of the world in narrative form, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, who's the hero? Who's the villain? Where are we at in the narrative? Well, he was the villain. Now he's turned himself into the hero. So it's like, you know, gone from the arsonist to the guy putting yes. out the fire, yes. right? That's a yes. typical repositioning you want to be doing. If you're a leader who's caused a problem, you want to reposition yourself as the person who's fixing the problem really fast. Right. And if he continues to do a reasonably good job with the fix and he continues to look like the guy who's making all those decisions, then people are going to see that and think, okay, he's competent. He managed through that crisis. Um, and they'll see the last sort of things that they remember. People don't have great, you know, long memories. They don't like complexity. They're not going to look at all the mistakes he made and be rational and like a lawyer would, yeah. um, you know, like Peter Credlin analyzing yeah. everything he did wrong and saying, hey, this is actually horrifyingly negligent, um, possibly. And and we really need to say, you know, seriously question this guy's managerial ability. Um, because he looks like he's getting on top of it now. And he's just a guy like me and you know, and he looks a little bit, a little bit forlorn and tired, and yeah. he worked hard for us, and we need to feel sympathetic, and you know, isn't he a nice bloke, sort of thing? So, okay. I think that there's a lot of that coming across with him, and he's very good at doing that um, yeah. and performing that way. And I okay. do think, you know, I'm not going to be generous or charitable to him. Um, I actually think it's quite, you know, I'm usually quite generous and charitable to people, but in his case, no, this is quite quite contrived um, and they know what they're doing. The Labor Party are very, very, uh, very good at this stuff, I think. All right, Damien Currier, PR expert of, of many, many years, one of the most sought after PR corporate speakers in Southeast Asia. Thank you for bringing your considerable skills to uh, talk about us down here in Victoria and join us on the show. See you next time. So what do you think about that? It makes sense. You know, there are some people in the population who have a natural knack of reading body language. And I think I might be one of those people. I don't want to big note myself. But what I've noticed is um, Dan has a a duality to him. Mm. What he's saying, if you listen, and his body language, they don't match. All right, give me an example. Okay, so you talk about the hunched overness Mm. and the, and the, um, the way... Uh, one of the things that he does is this. Like a forced smile without the eyes. It's not a forced smile. It's 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 sort of like... He clenches. In line with that sort of uh, submissive sort of I'm just an everyday oh. man sort of thing. Which is the opposite of who he is. He's the most power-wielding person we've exactly. seen in Exactly, but it comes out, if you notice, he breaks his character when Credlin yeah. challenged yeah. him. yeah. He broke his character completely and his true self came out. When he snapped? Yeah. Okay. And so this is how you get someone who's performing to break character is you throw them a curveball and you really needle them in a bit that hurts. 
So you, you take um, a part of their narrative that they've constructed and you, um, you go for the weakness. I shouldn't do that. So you how, should go how we, for the weakness. How would we do it again? How would we poke him again? Oh, how do you poke him again? You just need to break his level of control over his environment. Oh. So think of an actor on stage. Yeah, so not yeah, a screen actor, yeah. someone on stage. Um, maybe even you could have a, a, a comedian. Mm. Comedians are really good at rolling mm. with the punches because they expect not to be able to control their environment. Mm. Whereas if you're at a really big drama mm. or an opera or a ballet, they're not expecting at all for you to be throwing them a curveball from the audience. And so they will break character and get angry at you. That's right. Yeah, they do. Right? So film Dan all the time. Catch him at the shots. No. What you you need to put the do exactly what Peter Credlin did yep. is put pressure on him in his home, which is that little room of control. In his press conferences. Let the public see the real him so that he can't play the role of the just the everyman yeah. George... Uh, Mr. Burns sort of, I'm really weak, I'm not really a dictator controlling everything. See, to be clear, I'm not, I don't necessarily want to take him down. I just want the real him to be shown and then everyone can decide. That's exactly what I want too. I want, I'm interested in honesty. Mm. I'm interested in transparency. Government should be transparent. Good luck. I suspect if he, if we knew who he really was, that people would reject his leadership. However, mm. if they accept it and say we love him anyway, then great. I'm in the minority. That's exactly. Fine. I but agree. But I think do, people don't base their I love Dan thing on Dan. No, it's on his image. I don't even think it's on his image. I think they just have their identity in a team. In a tribe. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's like, it doesn't matter if my... Like, we had a saying in my family, no one hits my brother but me. You know what I mean? Well, so it's I, like, I it. me and my brother, we fight, right? But if someone outside hit my brother, I would be the biggest champion of his mm. defence, mm. even though personally... Oh, I get it now. So in other words... You're messing with my tribe. Yeah. Don't mess with my tribe yeah. because this is where my security and my identity come from. If this breaks down, my whole life breaks down. So no matter what Dan does, I love Dan. Well, this is brilliant because he's insti- made himself into an institution that they want to protect. He it, represents either safety. Either that or he's recognised that this is a part of culture and he's taken a bet and he's said, yeah, I'm going to mix with these people. And they're going to defend me. And that's going to be enough for me to leverage off for the rest. Well, he's winning now. He's doing a great job. Uh, Last thing. China. Do you know we're at war? Yes. You you just straight out. I don't even need to convince you. No. I've known this for ages. Of course you have. What sort of war? Well, now you're getting a bit beyond my expertise. All I know is that wars are not fought in the traditional sense. So this is the tweet from the um, Chinese government. Of course it's fake. Hello, look, there's an Australian flag. There's whatever this is and puzzles. And it's really and... nicely lit. Oh, beautiful. And look at him grinning as he holds a knife look, to this And look, there's probably the big bodies. long lens. Yeah, and look, these are all bodies underneath the cur- under the flag. And what is that? That's like Gollum from uh, that movie, The Lord of yeah. the Rings. That's not a real I've, human. I've used uh, Photoshop extensively and... That looks like it's been enhanced. Yeah, of course. And holding a lamb, like what is going on here? Anyway, this is this is not new. I want to do a little bit of a defense of China actually in this, which oh, okay, yeah, some no, that's fair. So China fights uh, differently. They fight trade wars because they're smart. They fight trade wars. They fight economic wars. Uh, they don't. They, they come out and they slander us. They come out and say our shipments are, are polluted. That's why we're stopping barley coming into the country. Yeah. Now they're doing the wine thing. It's all bully, 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 bully tactics. And they do this to the small island nations around the, the, the Asia Pacific. However, from their point of view, they've been bullied for a long time. Containing the rise of China has been a thing forever. What's this shaking your head? I'm not sure that I agree but it doesn't mean that i think you're wrong oh okay so i i want you to keep talking i'm no fan of china right i i and i would actually prefer they were contained maybe we could differentiate okay i have a number of friends who are chinese whom i love they're great i love you too oh you're you're chinese i didn't how dare you so there's a difference between china when you're talking about 
the people. Mm. So when I talk about China in a critical way, I'm specifically talking about the leadership, the governmental leadership. No, I'm more racist than you are. So I've grown up Chinese, and I don't like the Chinese culture either. I don't okay. like the saving face side of it. I don't like the fakeness. I don't like the but image consciousness. But that culture got really attacked when the when um um oh, what was his name? I keep th- it was a was it Pol Pot? No, it wasn't. No, that was Cambodia. That was Cambodia. Yeah. Who was the dictator that brought Mao Marxism Zedong. in? Mao, the great oh, Mao, leap forward, right. killed. Sorry, yeah. Mao's the greatest murderer in history, more than Hitler. So what 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 Marxists do or communists do is they destroy all the cultural artifacts. They did. Yeah. They whitewash yeah, yeah, everything, yeah. and they preserve the sense of of loyalty or community. Right. Yeah. So the it would be it would be. In my estimation, a little uncharitable to say that you don't like Chinese culture because the Chinese culture that exists now is not the Chinese culture that would have been there had Mao not mangulated it. I'm talking about the popular understanding of Chinese okay. culture, the one okay, that every enough. Chinese ABC Australian-born Chinese grew up with, which is, is that Tiger Moms. I just feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Yes, you may have, but. Sometimes heuristics and generalizations are important because we live them. Yeah. I was in school with the tiger, tiger dad, well, not, not tiger dad, but the other Asian things, you know. And anyway, look, uh, I, I understand why China are acting this way. I don't agree with why they're acting this way, but I understand they feel bullied mm. and in return they're bullying everyone else. So I don't know where we're going to go with this, but, but China and, and the US are, anyway. I suppose it's also easy... Uh, to recognize that China isn't the same as North Korea. North Korea literally has one guy dictating it for everybody. Chairman for life in China. Yeah, but he also is part of a, um, would you call it a committee, a council? They they do communicate it. It's not exactly the same as North Korea. Sure, sure. And they've done a lot of good. They've proven there's another form of capitalism that can work. And uh, you just have to sweep the uh, human rights abuses under the carpet and so on, and you basically get it done. So, you know that you know that China and the UN may use each other for convenience, but they're not allies. Yeah, you said this yeah. a few episodes ago. They're both after the same thing. Yeah, yeah. they're competing. They're competing, not uh, allies. Mm. Well, uh, well, good good luck with that. At least our prime minister is standing up to them, which I think is uh, normal for a, he, sh- he should be. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's all that happened this week. Really? Fair enough. All right. Uh, let's have a look at something everyone's been asking for. They've been saying, Matt, please explain the Great Reset. So Can today. you do that? Not really, but I'll try. Let's go. You've all been asking to explain The Great Reset, and here we go. So first of all, an apology. Uh, Of course it's not a conspiracy theory. What was I thinking? Yeah, it's not a conspiracy. Not even... Well, it is, actually. People have been pointing out the definition of a conspiracy. Yes, it is a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy, but it's not... It's a coordinated It's an open conspiracy. Yeah. But but it's, conspiracy doesn't mean fake. Conspiracy no, means a it just means that because people who say, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory is like a way of quickly flipping off or disregarding someone's argument. Well, it is not a conspiracy theory. It is a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. What it is, okay, is something to be concerned about but not necessarily afraid out of your mind, and I'll explain why. So I've read the book twice now. I can't believe... I've done this twice. This is the book. Please don't buy it. It's it's nine eight dollars on Kindle. Don't support it. I've bought it for you. I'm sad I had to buy it. Did I'll... you do any sort of research into Schwab and Malaret? Yeah, well Schwab. So Klaus Schwab, he's the founder of the World Economic Forum in Davos, mm. in Switzerland, right? Yep. He uh, has been pushing uh, climate stuff for forever. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, as we run through this, you'll see his thoughts because he, he wrote this book, basically. But he's been pushing this line forever. And let me just explain what it is first. The Great Reset is basically, in my opinion, an idea that the, it's like Karl Marx, Marxism, he had a similar idea. He said the way the world is going is not good. Mm-hmm. And here's why and here's what's wrong. Klaus does the same damn exactly. thing. thing. Yeah. With basically the same arguments. Possibly. Yeah. You haven't read it. Show me. No, you told me not to. All right. So in the book, it starts off 
Uh, so it's an idea that we need to change the world. We need to reset the world because the world is broken and yeah. we don't want to go where it's going and blah, blah, blah. All right. So in the book, he talks about there is no going back from what we've just been through coronavirus. In fact, he says we should be calling it before coronavirus, BC. Oh, really? Yeah, before coronavirus. Really? And AC after coronavirus. He That's sees so this. Funny. But this is funny because in his conclusion, he actually says that this, this pandemic is one of the least deadly pandemics we've seen in the last 200 years. Least. Least deadly pandemic in the last 2,000 years. Sorry, 2,000 years. Yeah. So, anyway. I'm not surprised. So, the point of the book is not that the pandemic is deadly. And he does a good job of showing that the pandemic is not the least deadly. But he, he says that it's so significant in the way it's highlighted inequities in, uh, in our world. Now, I got into such a funk, such a, a down, really depressed state reading this twice and listening to hours and hours and hours of the World Economic Forum's podcast called The Great Reset. Do you notice their language is, once you listen to half an hour, you think, oh my goodness, what the hell are they talking about? Well, what what do you mean? I actually was... They have really dulled down definitions and language and they they talk in a way that if you're not really paying attention... Yeah. You won't understand what they're saying. No, well, this is the scary part. It's actually quite attractive. Mm. So if you listen to this podcast, the people in here are, are um, you know, leaders of business and, and uh, quite... What, you look confused. No, I was just reading and I didn't have my glasses. Oh. Last week, you saw my glasses. I, always, I, never, I never use them, even though I need them. Look, it's, it's, this podcast is less bad than the book. Uh, but it, it, it really has a lot of people saying this is how we fix the problems in the world. Primarily, it's climate change, okay? The mm. Great Reset is is 75% just climate change, climate change, climate change. And it's so doomsday, you wouldn't believe it. Like, it's not even... It's not even... Let me, let me find some doomsday for you. They say things like, failing to act would equate to letting our world become meaner, more divided, more dangerous, more selfish, and simply unbearable. So to do nothing is not a viable option. So the whole narrative, before you even talk about what's in the book, this is why I'm laboring this point, is that the world sucks and has been getting worse for a long time. Mm. That is so not data-based. No. Steven Pinker? That's a narrative. Yeah, I know Steven Pinker. Not personally, but yeah. Yeah, well, he's my friend. So, Stephen <laughs> Pinker. He's got crazy hair. He's got crazy hair. Uh, he documents so well the fact that our world is, we've never had it so good, whether it be infant mortality oh, or, yeah. or longevity totally. or species. And he puts a lot of it to uh, free market reform. Mm hmm. Letting people... Yeah, agree. It's not even free market or capitalism, right? It's letting people decide their lives and get along mm. with it. Some people use the term capitalism to illegitimately... Um, illegitimately delegitimize it. So in other yeah. words, they, they characterize it, they fit it into this little box and they say it's capitalism. And I, I can't find anyone prior to Marx who defines capitalism. Well, there might be a couple. There were some good parts of the podcast. Someone said it shouldn't really be called capitalism. This was a good part. Some business guys said it really should be called, uh, what do they call it, um, innovationism. Yeah, I can, I Capi- can see. Capitalism is not really about capitalism. It's about but you've got, to, you've got to fill the space, not with the definitions of the words that you think, but with the worldview values that are coming from the World Economic Forum. So they're talking about words like, and, and I'm going to talk about this later, but they're talking about words like hate speech, right wing, yeah. violent extremism, disinformation, equality, ha- uh, you know, all these different terms. Yeah. And you've got, to, you've got to interpret their language, not in terms of what you understand, but in terms of what you know their values are because mm. their values aren't necessarily your values. Well, you've hit to the whole the whole point. Why I was feeling so uh, depressed with this book was not because I, I thought it was terrible. That would have been better. I thought mm. it was really good. Everything yeah. I was reading in the book and everything I was listening to in the podcast, I thought was great. For example, they said things like, uh, we need to move beyond the short-term profit motive, GDP. I, I agree. Because all we care about is the quarterly figures. We don't yeah. make, and I come from a long history of business career-wise, and yes, all we care about is this quarter's profit numbers, and people are a third priority. We would all agree on that, and and other things like we need to look after our environment. Yes, we need to take into account externalities. Yes, which is affects to the environment basically. But it wasn't until I had a chat with someone, and they said, "Look, the reason why you're feeling so shaken." is because the assumptions underneath 
and what they what the ramifications are mm. because they had valid criticisms of where the world is going but every single solution was give me more power mm-hmm. make a central world government yeah because that is the ultimate end goal for secular humanism now let's just say you're a you're a christian let's say you think human lives are special yeah not just animals if you are a secular humanist you think usually if you've well thought through um, because of evolution and they're not being a god that human beings are no different than a dog or an animal they're not special yes one of the when you when you go through the background information to the great reset you run into people who say things like this um, the future of mankind is not going to be set until we realize we're just naked apes and there's nothing special about us and other people have said um, one in particular australian who wrote in 1970 said i toured russia and i looked around and i thought in order to solve the problems of mankind this is what the world must look like i don't want to live in russia but this is absolutely how the only way that i see society going because when the biggest problem in the world is climate change we've already talked about how the victorian human rights are Mm when convenient Mm. human human autonomy and human lives and human rights for the for the un and the the great reset save them if they're convenient Mm. but the driving forces save the planet at all costs there's also a deeper appeal as well not just to the planet but to this emotional sense of it's not right. So there is they, they do acknowledge Stephen Pinker's argument that the world on balance is better off. However, they say statistics this this is drive you crazy. Yeah, S- statistics are not enough to show a statistical average or a trend. We have to think about the outliers because at the end of the day this is a story Klaus actually told in the book. It doesn't matter if the statistics say that humanity is better off to the person who hasn't got food to eat. So he's throwing out an entire data-based approach yeah. for an anecdote. Uh, I have a child. My child was born three months premature. And the paediatrician came in and gave us the statistics and then said, now, you don't care about the statistics. And I said, why is that? He said, because it's your child. Mm. Whether your child dies or lives Mm. is what you care about. Mm. You don't care about the fact that if your child survived, it was a low chance. You just care about them surviving. Mm. So when you macro out data, which is um, a common sort of fallacy to say, let's macro out this data and Mm. apply it to all these different areas as if it's true, Um, That's just as much as a fallacy as if you completely micro the data and say none of it matters at all. What matters is your qualitative experience. Mm. That is just as much as a fallacy as the macroing. I think it's more of a fallacy to go micro because how dare they whitewash? How dare they wash away the millions of people who have been improved reflected in the data of human progress over time for, for the one? Yeah. I'm not the heartless one saying, sorry, that this I don't care about the one starving. I'm the one with a bigger heart, thankful that millions and billions of people now are not starving thanks to the free market. Also, they use almost purely statistical analysis to um, justify the cl- anthropogenic climate change. Mm. Yet when they go to a different area, they say, no, we throw out the statistics here. That's ridiculous. That's exactly right. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize you're a denier as well. All right. I'm so not a denier. I'm a rationalist. I need to also, really. uh, for the sake of um, uh, completeness, let the people know that there is obviously a lot of good in there. Like I said, the, some of the criticisms are good. Some of the things they say, are, for example, uh, they're not a fan of the dystopian surveillance state. So specifically... That's really ironic. Yeah. Okay. True. But 
they're making some of the right noises. This is not just the, the anti-Bible, the devil's book, right? It's mm. actually full of really good ideas. The problem is behind it all is giving me more power. And why don't I wanted to raise this because uh, that's what they don't admit to in the book. So the opening podcast is done by Prince Charles. Yep. So everyone And also, this is obviously for public consumption, so absolutely. it's going to be crafted. Absolutely. But everyone in here is very, very powerful and very, very rich. Mm-hmm. And they want more and more power to, get to, to, be, to be centralized, centralized like that. Look, hey, I'll give you some quotes. Um, they talk about uh, the adoption of a planned yet adaptive, sustainable and equitable downscaling of the economy. Now, if you understand what that means, call 555-037829 and talk to our janitor because we won't be here. Leading to a future where we can live better with less. Oh, I have more. Quotes. I want to out myself as the research that I've done to the lead up. In Parliament in nineteen in Victorian Parliament in nineteen seventy one, mm-hmm. when the um, Euro, when the Environmental Protection Act was was uh, being debated and subsequently got accepted, mm-hmm. they were debating um, popula- overpopulation and the potential for famine. Yeah. And you know what the solution that they said was? We exported, at that stage, 50% and we consumed 50%. Yeah. Our people could survive on less. Yeah. So they uh, were debating, making the decision on behalf of their people yeah. to reduce consumption on purpose yeah having nothing to do with what you wanted or didn't want. Yeah. It was just an executive decision. This is all top-down government. Oh, yeah. All oh, of it. Yeah. So even though it sounds nice, yeah. recognise this has got nothing to do with what you want. That's true. Well, okay, more quotes, okay. A sense of solidarity favouring the common good over individual aspirations and needs. Yeah. Remember what that quote that I got from uh, the same guy who was talking in 1970. He said he toured Russia and he said he was talking about climate change. And he said, um, even though he didn't want to live there, he thought he can't envisage uh, the world to fix these problems mm. in any other state than what he was seeing in mm. Iron Curtain, Russia. I find it disgusting because it's not true. We are fixing the world. Give the market more time. And I'll talk a minute what the real answer is to these problems. But let me give you another quote. The post-pandemic era will usher in a period of massive wealth redistribution from the rich to the poor and from capital to labor. Now, it's actually going the opposite way. This ties ties into the Keynesian thing because QE is a basic form of wealth transfer. To the rich. Well, the rich end up with it yeah. because they believe that they're better equipped at using it in accordance with global values. It's disgusting. All right. The death knell of neoliberalism and neoliberalism is favoring competition over solidarity. This is like the manifesto. Mm. Creative destruction over government intervention and economic growth over social welfare. So we need an increasing role of governments and the redefinition of all social contracts. Yep. Marriage. Same-sex marriage, family, non-traditional family. These are all the classic elements of the secular humanist worldview, which, stay tuned, will come in a video that I do because it's so important. If you understand worldview, this reads like um, like DVD instructions. Mm. Like this is just a no-brainer. You read it and you go, yeah, I knew that, I knew that. Yep. That's what it sounds like when I tell you about it. You not you don't seem surprised by it. I'm all. happy, though, that we're talking about it because I've had nobody to talk to about this for decades. Well, now we have 80,000 a week to talk to. Uh, we need global governance because there is no committee to save the world. This is the lightning before the thunder. We must do something to reset today's world. And uh, one last one, the return of big government. This is not just... Klaus talking about someone else. This is his direct wish. Rather than simply fixing market failures when they arise, they should move towards act governments should move towards actively shaping and creating markets that delivers inclusive growth. In fact, bigger government is already in place because of coronavirus, with the quasi-immediate government control of the economy that has already occurred. Mm-hmm. This is Keynesian. This is why it surprised me that Morrison went to QE in Australia because I thought he wouldn't do that. But 
any prime minister is not autonomous mm. in Australia. He had nowhere else to go. No, he wouldn't have. Through it, through I mean, think about Tony Abbott got ousted by Turnbull. Yeah. Um, th- there's no safe place mm. for for a conservative in politics. No. None. Well, Trump was providing some cover for those. Yeah, but see how much he got attacked. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, so this is this is interesting. Um, this has been presented to you like it's been here for decades, which is what we're talking about. What's behind it? But when this came out in the last year or so, or six months, it's been presented as build back better. Yeah. So it's everywhere. ScoMo has said it in a tweet since deleted. Yeah. Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau. points. Yeah, everyone's been saying we need to build back better. Flipping Joe Biden had it all over his campaign um, podiums. So when you hear build back better, that's what they're referencing is is this. We need to build back from COVID better. Now, the whole, as an aside, they are saying that um, coronavirus has devastated the world's economy. It hasn't. By their own bloody admission... Sorry, you bloody so much. They that de- it was devastated. The lockdown. It's not. It's the least p- deadly pandemic we've seen in the last two thousand years. It was because this government. is the follow-on of from two thousand and eight, where sovereign countries were printing money. First mm. America, then the EU, and now Australia, were deliberately destroying their own currencies, mm. and now they're. These uh, these countries uh, around the world, these big power countries, are deliberately destroying their own sovereignty. Mm. Well, it, yeah, it's feeling it is. It's obviously coordinated. Now, when people started to point it out, especially to Justin Trudeau, Trudeau just slimed it all as as are oh, they all just conspiracy theorists? How is that a conspiracy? Kindle dot go back to Trudeau now and he won't talk to you about it, I no, guarantee. No. Because the thing is it's hide, hide, hide until you get the memo that oh the gig's up, we don't have to hide anymore. Then they just don't talk about it. It's just complete denial. It's like it never happened. But they are winning. I'm gonna about See, to no, show you. They're something not winning. That, oh, I don't like you right. being a defeatist. Okay, well that's a valid criticism, but I'm about to show you. This is from the World Economic Forum podcast, okay? This is a serious podcast. And to introduce one of the guests, they actually had Grover from Sesame Street talking about resetting the entire world. To introduce her, we're honoured to welcome a blue furry character from Sesame Street, Grover. Hello, everybody. It is I, your cute and adorable pal, Grover, with a message for listeners of the Great Reset. Well, you are in luck because... I know a thing or two about resetting. Mm-hmm. I reset my alarm clock every morning. <laughs> but you are talking about resetting the entire world. Now that is a very big job. Well, my friend Ms. Sherry Weston and I are here to help. On Sesame Street, we know that it is very important for children to learn and play every day. And because playtime is so important, we have been thinking of ways to help children all over the world learn and play at home. At first, it was hard when nobody could go to school, and I could not visit my friends like Elmo or, well, even Oscar the Grouch. Then we learned to have video playtime, which was a lot of fun and made us feel better. Now, I know you will want to hear all about it, and so I will now let Miss Sherry be the one to tell you, okay? Bye-bye, everybody. See, Grover. Grover. Yeah, I know. Grover, children, Sesame Street. See, again, I'm not surprised because if you go to the um, UN website Mm. and you look for documents about their strategy of dealing with climate change and the other issues, one of the key strategies is education. And we know, we've seen that what they do is they take someone who is, quote unquote, a culture setter. Mm. So a cultural influencer or something like that. And they get that person Mm. to tell you a couple of things Mm. to get you on board. And then they defer to what's known as a change agent Mm. who then makes you feel like their decisions on where they're going Mm. was your idea. So they'll get you, they're skilled in the sense that they're able to make people feel happy that they're giving away their sovereignty Mm -hmm. because we're all in this together Mm -hmm. and we go on. So they take, um, they take famous people like uh, um, 
uh, Grover. Hugh Jackman, Grover, yeah. other people. So they all start to talk about UNESCO and all the mm. different UN departments as yes. if nothing else exists. Yes. Well, they go on and on about that and about the EU and how it's vital. And UNESCO is not just about education. It's about re-education. That's an important distinction. So really, look, this is what we wanted to, um, in the end, to explain that the Great Reset is basically a... Uh, an idea, a worldview, really, that the world is getting worse. And I think you, you really have to decide whether you believe that the world is going to hell and needs a giant reset or the world is actually getting better and we need to just get on with it, as Skomo said. And and I would urge people to look at beautiful words like this book and beautiful things that some of the politicians say and promise and just look behind it to see, okay, that's fine. You want to fix some inequality, but what do you actually want to do to fix it? Because it's always a concentration of power into the already existing powerful and the existing rich. It's a scam. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't see it as a scam, but from our perspective, we're being scammed. Well, I'll tell you what, I agree with them. We do need a great reset, but the reset has to be we stop trusting politicians and the technocracy, the experts to rule everyone's lives. The reset we need is to say, hey, we are smarter than we realize, we have forgotten, and we can stand up and we can make our lives better just as we've done for hundreds of yes. years in the West. The Western history of entrepreneurism and inventism, even just in Australia itself, mm. we had so many people that did amazing things in science and inventing and engineering. I mean, just the windmill of you know, bringing up water from deep boreholes in the ground mm. is an Australian invention. The lawnmower is an Australian invention. The um, uh, certain, there were Australians who won uh, Nobel Prizes in science. Mm. An Australian was one of the founders of the Manhattan Project. Mm. Um, there were amazing people in Australia's history and they became amazing because government were out of the way and mm. people could move and ed be educated and move and do what they wanted to do. And you know what? I suspect that most people in the world even, especially in Australia, but in the world would agree with what we're saying, but they don't realise this sheep in wolf's clothing, clothing here. But the truth is, yeah, just as you say, get out of our way and we will continue to make this world better. There's your reset for you. We seem to be obsessed with body language. You've got books like You Can Read Anyone by Dr. David Lieberman. You've got former FBI interviewers like uh, Joe Navarro, what everybody's saying. You've got Alan and Barbara Pease writing books on body language for decades now. It seems we're obsessed with finding out what people really mean behind the words that they say. And this is no truer than in the case of politicians. There's always some media article behind the announcement of a poly. What does he really mean by his body language? And I, I think it's a wise thing to ask, what do politicians actually believe behind the words that they say? You can think about a politician kind of like a fruit tree. If you come across a fruit tree in winter, kind of like when a politician is elected, there's no fruit yet. They're brand new to the scene. And you may celebrate the planting of a fruit tree in your backyard, but you don't really know anything about it until springtime comes and you have some fruit actually come out on that tree. See, we can judge a tree by its fruit. And in the same way, we do that with politicians. The, the fruit of a politician is their policies and the effect they have on our worlds. But fruit is not something to be looked at. Fruit is something to be eaten. It's something that should nourish us. And so just like fruit on a tree, you don't really know if it's a good tree or not until you pick that fruit and you eat it. In the same way, a politician's policies takes time to ripen on the tree and for us to finally pick it and taste and see whether those policies have nourished the world in which we live, which at the end of the day is exactly why we vote politicians in. So remember, don't worry about what a politician looks like on the surface and don't even really worry too much about what does the fruit look like. We need to taste and see whether the fruit is coming from a good tree because you will know a tree by its fruit. When I stand up, mm -hmm. uh, 
I don't really have a stomach. When I sit down, I do. Yeah. Welcome to the real world. <laughs> All right. Anyway, did I know what? What are you teaching today? I, I, I'm surprised you're telling me that, uh, yeah, I'm worried that I, when I sit down, I have a stomach. <laughs> People forget that I was 145 kilos. And so yeah, in but my you mind, need to forget because I know, I know. exactly what, what your problem is because I had exactly the same thing. When I was skinny, I still couldn't see myself as anything other than the fat kid. Oh, so you've gone fat to skinny. Yeah. I and lost, I've, I've, I've gone down to like drop 20, 40 kilos um, a couple of times in my life, but it's gone back up. I don't know how to get rid of the, I'm fat inside, so fat. I got really thin um, just after I finished high school and apparently people thought I was stunning, very handsome. You are now. I could not, when I was in the shower, I thought to myself, I'm still just as fat as I was before mm. and I hated myself. It's a thing. So is that what you wanted to, so that's it, that's did you know for today? That's not did you know. <laughs> All right, what have we got? What have we got? All right, let's go. All right, we're coming back in five. No, we're already in. I'm publishing that. We're alive. Keep no. going. Yes. Come on. Did you know what? All right, did you know? Uh, did you know that I didn't do my hair this morning? No. Let's, we touched on this a little bit before with the Great Reset, right? Mm, mm. Uh, values. Okay? Yes, yes. So we need to have more of a conversation around values. Mm. So let's, let's do some buzzwords, right? What do you think hate speech is? Oh, for goodness sake. Do we really? Just you, Google. Faster oh. interaction. Come on. Come on. Hate speech Just give is it not, to me. Give it there to is me. no such about thing it. as hate speech. Don't give it to me. No, no. but you know no, no, that no. people talk about it. What do they mean when they say they it? They mean anything that's offensive. Yeah, exactly. Idiots. Right? Anything that's offensive is hate speech, right? That's not What about true. right wing? What does right wing mean? Everything that doesn't believe what I believe. Well, what if you're right wing? No, I know, but that's what they say. They say you're just right wing if you yeah, don't believe right the wing. progressive narrative. Right wing it's usually means uh, Christians don't... are conservatives. All Christians are conservatives and all conservatives are Christians. And the ones that aren't are alt-right, but everybody is right wing. I, th well, I think it has less to do with Christianity. I Not in America. Has... Oh, okay, in America, yes. But I think right wing means you don't care. Like Maybe if we go over to your feelings. On the left, that's where we live. <laughs> anyway, so hate speech. Uh, so hate speech, you've already said. Anything that I feel is unkind or whatever. Uh, right wing, anything that's not uh, leftist values. Um, violent extremism. Well, it should be violent. It should be people who go and kill people for their religion or something like that. But it's gone on to move other, like microaggressions turn into... Exactly. The shifting definitions. Jordan Peterson is labelled an extreme, a violent extremist. Yes. What the? Like, clean your room? Clean your room. There is a clear line that I can draw from 2001, September 11, and what happened because of the Twin Tower disaster. I can draw a line straight down and get to all of this. No, no, it goes back beyond 2000. Who am I? It goes back beyond 2001. Josh, it's a worldview from 1984. Did you know that you there used to, to be a show called Beyond 2000? Yeah, I remember watching it. Yeah, so and did here I. We are. You don't see it on reruns anymore. No, it was all wrong. Anyway. So this line from 2001. Yeah, so it's talking about it started with extremism and then it comes down and it starts to morph and spread out so that definitions start to spread out. You see, what I was trying to do was I was trying to search through tons and tons of documents from the, the UN and the EU and all these secular humanist organizations to try and find a quote that I could pick out to say, this is what they mean by this word. And then I remembered something and I'm going to out myself here. Okay, so be kind. I used to work for the government. I can't tell you who because I actually signed a gag order and being on this show could get me fired because technically I'm still employed by them. But Lucky no one watched. I was under investigation for assaulting one of my clients. I'm now scared. <clears throat> yep. I told the truth. I got off the initial investigation. They said, yeah, it's fine. And, you know, we're not going to take this any further. A year later... Uh, uh, a, law, a bill was passed in Parliament that was retroactively able to pick up cases from the past and retry them under the new law, yeah. and I was one of them, did and you, I got a letter. Did you assault this guy? It was self-defence. Okay. Um, so he headbutted me, yeah. and he had me trapped, so I hit him to get away. Okay, cool. 
So that's that's the story about it myself. Now, anyway, so when I got the letter, I instantly called them and I had a conversation and basically I was going to come before a board and my hearing uh, would take place and they would determine whether they were going to destroy my life or not mm. by taking away all my ability to work and all this mm. other stuff. Mm. I asked them, in order to make my defense, what definition of abuse are they uh, using? Mm. And you know what they said to me? What? Whatever the board deems is abuse is abuse. That's ridiculous. That's positive law. Yes. It's more than that. It's relative law. So I wasted hours looking for definitions of words when I remembered that and I thought to myself, hate speech is whatever the person in authority thinks is hate speech. Not even in authority. Violent extremism is the going thing of whatever is considered violent extremism. What is considered violent extremism is in the UK includes thought. It does now, yeah. yeah. What, and that's... Bumper stickers. Exactly. And so that's where they want to go pre-crime. So... Yeah. I was doing some investigating into disinformation and um, Kevin Rudd's uh, accusations against, not News Corp, even though it's really News Corp, he calls it Murdoch. He personalises it. I've got a clip. Go. Today I'm speaking to you as a former Prime Minister of Australia and today I'm officially launching an official petition you see, the truth is Murdoch has become a cancer, an arrogant cancer on our democracy. Number one, it's the sheer concentration of Murdoch's media ownership. Murdoch owns virtually each and every one of the newspapers. Number two, Murdoch has viciously campaigned and viciously campaigned. Why does he do it? Murdoch climate change denial as well as the sheer arrogance and swagger and bullying behavior by Murdoch and his editors. So please use your voice, but more importantly, your signature on this petition. Thanks for having me on, Christian. And secondly, then, for the Royal Commissioner to make recommendations on a future form of media governance in this country, form of media governance in this country, if you're trying to advance a program to take action on carbon pricing to boost renewables, and the other measures which are now standard fare in most countries in the world. The wall of media opposition which Murdoch has represented is formidable. Now the next step in this process uh, is the Senate inquiry. The Senate has now called for submissions from you, the members of the general public. It should be in your own language, expressing your views about Murdoch's abuse of the media monopoly, how you've experienced personally misleading information in the Murdoch media, or how you may have been bullied by the Murdoch media. And on top of that, any thoughts you have for the future of media diversity in our country and the future funding for our public broadcaster, the ABC. But time is short. You'll need to get your submission in by Friday the 11th of December. Why did you just make me watch that? I know, right? Just stay with me. I obviously cut it together facetiously, but it preserves the point I wanted to make. There's two narratives that he's giving there. So there was his YouTube channel video, then there was an interview in international television, and then another for his YouTube channel. The narrative that he gives you for the population is different than the narrative he gives the world business communities. So if you notice in the business communities, like the, the world news version is we need to put regulation and control, government control over the media. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that by we need to channel all the funding to ABC. Mm. But what he was saying, the people in the popular it's level different. was, how are your feelings? This bad Murdoch guy Have they who makes you? you feel bad. Have they bullied you? When it's not about, it's not about balanced reporting. It's about how people are feeling. Everyone's going to rewind now and watch that now that you've explained that. Yeah, but go for anyway, it. Anyway, welcome back. If you want to go back to the real, uh, his YouTube channel, you can watch the, the full ones just to see it uncut. So I'm not accused of anything. But so I want what, to... What's your point here? But he's giving two messages. Yeah, he's so giving two he's messages. The reality is you can pick what he's trying to do. So people don't know that petitions delivered to Parliament were never really considered... Uh, a, never really considered authoritative as in something to act on until 2008 
when Kevin Rudd changed the, the law to make the parliament consider petitions. Mm -hmm. And so now he comes up and he, and he delivers a petition that is claiming to be about monopoly, even though Australia doesn't have any monopoly laws. But when you listen to what he's saying, it's not about monopoly. Mm. It's about, from the big government level, it's mm. about the fact that he is naysaying climate change. Mm -hmm. And at this level, it's that, you know, he disagrees with you. He's mm. against this and against yeah, yeah, that. It's, yeah. it's all about pushing um, the dissenting opinions out of the market, right? Because they say it's all about uh, biased reporting, and that's why we want to get Murdoch. It's not about that he has a monopoly, because he doesn't have a do monopoly. Do you think Australians actually... Uh, well, he has the greatest distribution figures. But do you think Australians actually believe there's a problem here? Because we, we, know, we know it's biased. We know everyone's biased. We know the ABC's biased. Exactly, but that's the point. It's that... The right people are allowed to be biased, but if you're biased in the wrong way, you need to be destroyed. So in other words, he, his papers make a loss, but he buys more. Yeah. Why can't he? But the clear-thinking Australians are going to be looking at this and saying, yeah, we know he's biased, and so is ABC. But the people who are following Kevin Rudd's yeah, YouTube the channel... Lovies. Exactly. They're a minority. They're, they're he got 500,000 yeah, signatures, and some of them are some under question. Yeah. But the fact is that most of those, it's an e-petition. You yeah. didn't have to yeah. do anything. You just signed something. But why are you, Nick, is in a twist over this? Because, because he, he's going to Parliament yeah. to enforce... Um, the opposite of what he says he's going to enforce. Yeah. He wants more broad reporting. Yeah. But what he really wants... Oh, I see, yes. Is a narrowing of reporting. Is a narrowing of reporting. Yeah. So yeah. here's That's the fair. thing, right? Yeah. He says that his petition was a record. You know what? It's not. If you go onto the Parliament website where it explains petitions, it says that in 2014 there was a petition that was 1.2 million signatures. Bigger than his, yeah. Massive, mm. over double. Mm. Um, that was the uh, was for the the pharmacist funding support bill. Okay. Right. Okay. So, but that's not really not, snazzy, not is sexy, it? No. But he goes online and he says it's the a record breaker, mm. right? Mm. Now, the whole point of this is fact-checking and mm. fair reporting. Mm. And yet he says something that's not true. Mm. And guess what? These people in these papers reported it as the biggest they petition. They did. I remember that reporting. Here, let me give you a list. <clears throat> Pedestrian TV, which is... Who are uh, they? Come on. Yeah, I don't know. Who, who are they? But they basically got it right, but they misled. Um, who else? Gizmo? Who were Gizmo? Gizmo? I actually emailed the guy and I said, um, you've got it right. You've got it wrong. Can you print a correction? So we'll see if I get an email back. So here's some of your note. No. The Pen, The Moderate Voice, Asia Nikkei. But here we start to get into some fun names. In, New, in QLD in Queensland, MSN, The Guardian, Yahoo News, Al Jazeera, BBC, Canberra Times, World News, abc.com.au, all reported that it was the biggest ever petition response. And you've just factored Which is absolute crap. Because of the 1.2 million. Exactly. Yeah. But... They're promoting a narrative. But this is the same thing we just covered in the Great Reset. This is exactly what they do. That's why this is connected. This is connected. Now you've lost me. Well, how why, have I lost you now? Why did you have to take it to that next step and say it's a cabal connected? I didn't say it's a cabal connected. What I'm saying is the if the world, let's say this table is the flat earth. The flat Don't earth. write in. And here is the center of power. What all politicians have to deal with is the fact they know the world is going to be a centralised government. So they have to make a decision. Do I usher myself in so that I look good to them so I can have a job? Mm. Or do they say, now, do I stand on my principles and do I hold the nationalist line and I look for, you know, traditional forms of freedom and all that other stuff. Mm. 
So it's not sort of like these people telling all the politicians, you need to be doing this. What these people do is they suggest this is where we're going. Mm. And the individual politicians make their own choice about whether they want to be part of that or they don't. That's what you mean by coordinated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, it is coordinated, it's but it stemming. isn't. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah. hive mind, but it isn't. It's too simplistic that's to hive, nail it down. That's what hive mind is. Oh, really? It's distributed consciousness. Yeah. Oh, well, there it's you not go. in central plan. So it's not as simple. So basically, Kevin Rudd has made the decision I am going all for these secular values, mm. and my part to play in this is to, is to basically politically assassinate Rupert Murdoch. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is all about. It's not about free press. He actually said it to the world. It's about government regulated press and making ABC the main source of where Australians get their information. And yet ScoMo this week is giving more money to the ABC, which is unthinkable. He doesn't I know. To do it. Oh, there's no point. I don't know why he's doing it. Politically, it doesn't make sense. It's troubling. But uh, let's end on this, okay? There, I, amidst all of this that we've talked about today, the Great Reset, this this whole thing with um, with Rudd, uh, sent, global governance, all this kind of stuff, clear trends we're clearly going towards or going to end up in. Still, we have massive resistance. The fact that Trump even got up, shouldn't have gotten up in, through the primary, shouldn't have been president, shouldn't have, shouldn't have, shouldn't have, shouldn't have and here he is. Mm. And the cool thing about Trump is, even though Trump may be gone, even if he is gone, Trumpism is not. The resistance no, is strong. That's Millions right. People. But you are going to get some of these disinformation companies get down to the individual level. So you need to be really careful online because you're guilty by association. Mm. So they're looking, according to their values, for people who are, quote unquote, disinforming the public. That just simply means you have a different opinion, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a good thing that they're doing, which is stopping people from murdering each other and radicalizing people, but it bleeds over into social constructions. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, taking you and this show and deeming us a hate group. Well, I haven't done that yet. But anyway, look, I'm trying I'm trying to make a point to end on, which is that even despite that you are correct, that is, is happening and could happen, that the resistance is real. And I have been surprised. You know, There's a great resistance happening next week on Wednesday night mm. at 6 p.m. There is a live event. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet, you need to go to uh, discernible.io slash crew. Click on the blue thing here. Put your email just in there. I'll send you an invite. Be quick. Tickets are selling out. We're going to stop selling them in two days. But we're going to be having a live event with people like Richard Reardon. He did a great performance this week in the Parliamentary Accounts and Estimates Committee, trying to nail down Dan Andrews and the Treasurer. Mm. Uh, and uh, you're going to be there. Uh, Gideon Rosner from our pair. I'm not as important. Uh, we're going to have other creators there, like the real Rukshan, who's been highlighting some of the rubbish that's been happening with the police. And... This is, brings me great hope, the fact that we can even sit here and talk in front of tens yeah. of thousands of people. And we need to talk. We, we do, but we have a chance at changing out the future world that we live in in this country. The top-down government, what they can't reach is individual people spreading ideas that eventually start to crop up. I'm going to do it again. The Premier's office doesn't set the tone of Victoria, we set the tone, just like Josh says. In the everyday conversations we have, these kind of conversations, people tagging other people in these episodes of The People's Project, we are changing the culture one mind at a time. Thank you for being here, changing the world with me. Thank you for changing your world, everyone who's watching. And see you on Wednesday in real life. In real life. Uh, Am I going to be as... As fat as I think I am in real life, or skinnier on the... T- How does it work? The camera adds five kilos. <sighs> Please don't. Got, we're back to the weight thing. All right, be kind when you see us. We're lovable, cuddly teddy bears. Have a great week, everyone.